Hi, I'm Keegan Sands, and welcome back to Ship It, the podcast from Depth Agency that's made by engineers for engineers. In this episode, we continue to explore origin stories, which dive into how talented people got their start in software. Today, Depth Director of Engineering, Matt Merrill, talks with Depth Senior Director of Innovation, Carlos Dominguez, about Carlos's journey. Listen in to hear about how his interest got sparked in computers, how his grandmother provided some shaping insight, how he learned to program, and finally, how Jackie Chan and Jet Li got him into the video game industry. It's a fascinating trip, and you won't regret coming along for the ride. So without further ado, let's get started. All right. Hey, welcome to Ship It. I'm Matt Merrill from Depth, and I'm here today with Carlos Dominguez from Depth as well, and we're going to do an origin story. We're going to get to know Carlos, and uh, Carlos is uh, relatively new to Dept, um, and this is actually going to be a pretty organic conversation because I don't know much about Carlos. And uh, so, hey, Carlos, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really honored to be uh, considered for an origin story. Nice, cool. So, um, what do you do here at Dept? Let's start there and uh, tell us what you do, and then we'll kind of get into your background and go from there. That's a great question. So um, I'm an exec sponsor. So my official title is exec sponsor and I'm a senior director of innovation. So uh, as an exec sponsor, I pretty much manage our projects. And so one way to look at it is kind of like biz dev, a little bit of biz dev, client relations. But I think the most important part that I see in my job is actually making sure that our devsters are taken care of, right? So in each one of those projects, you know, is everybody, we have the right people assigned to the right project, but, you know, we always say happy clients, happy Debsters. So I think my, the biggest part of my job is making sure that our Debsters are having fun in that project. They're providing value, uh, but also that they're in the right place and doing the work that they believe in, you know, Um, and then growing, being able to grow and being able to kind of develop their talent so that they can do other things and things they're passionate about. Yeah, that is something that I feel like is part of uh, the special sauce here is that we we try to keep our talent happy and it generally leads to good work and then leads to more work, which is really great. Um, and, you know, it's um, it's interesting that you, you know, you say that that's the most important part of your job. That's really cool because I always say at Depth Digital Products, we don't have salespeople, traditional salespeople. And even just the title exec sponsor, which stands for executive sponsor, like it, it's more of a partner for your product, right? I think, do you, view, do you view it like that? Or I'm curious if like how you view that, you know, I, I would assume you don't see yourself as a traditional salesperson, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Definitely not. I will tell you that I hate politics and I hate selling stuff. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people tell me that I'm a good politician and a good salesperson. And I think it's just because I care <laughs> about the people yeah. that I'm talking to. Yeah. And I think most importantly, it's because I care about the relationships. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I think it is important for us when we build those partnerships and relationships that we're looking out for the best interest. And in our case, my role is the best interest of our Debsters and the best interest of our client, right? So that we can deliver the product they need. I think uh, the difference with that in a sales is that from my humble point of view, nothing against anybody selling stuff out there. We need all salespeople out there. But it's from my point of view, for my work specifically, is because you know I can go ahead and sell you a, a bunch of engineers, a bunch of developers, you know, architectures, designers, and I can throw a lot of jargon at you on experiences and technology and blah, 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 blah. And we make a lot of money. Great. But guess what? If that's not what the client really needs, 
then I'm just wasting everybody's time. And yes, we got money, but then that account dies and we got to move on and find a new account. And potentially unhappy people working on the project too. Exactly. You know, so. If, if you, you have a bunch of people maybe twiddling their thumbs, waiting to be onboarded to understand what it is that they need to do because they don't know what they're doing there. Mm-hmm. If we actually pair the right people with the right project and we're really listening to what the client needs and what our people are looking to work towards and, and the skills that they have, then everybody comes together and is happy and you're able to continue and build a relationship for the long term. That is going to give us a lot more money in the long term, but also a lot of happy clients, great quality products and happy people working, you know. Yeah. Um, there was a, a one of my mentors a long time ago. I was very lucky to work um, under a company and I met the president of that division who eventually became the president of the company. He always said, engineers are easy people, right? Mm-hmm. But, and I'm an engineer, by the way, background. So he was talking about me. He was like, yeah, you guys are easy. Like all we got to do is give you a ton of work and all the toys, meaning like oscilloscopes and soldering irons and all this stuff, right? And you guys just get to work and are happy and produce a bunch of stuff. And he was joking about it, but it's very true, right? If yeah. you're able to marry those two things, it's like Confucius said, like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, yeah. you know? Yeah, I find that that's absolutely true with engineers and designers and builders. It doesn't really matter if builders are happy with the tools and the methods and, you know, their independence and autonomy and what they produce, they're generally happy. So, all right. I got it. got it. I'm so curious. You're talking about oscilloscopes. You're an engineer. What led you? What led you here? You, I mean, start wherever you, wherever you think is appropriate. Wow. All right. So when I was an itty bitty baby of about maybe, man, seven years old or, or forget I said seven. I don't want to age too much myself. My grandmother heard about this thing called an Apple II Plus, a personal computer. And she decided that she needed to buy one for her grandchildren because that was the future. Okay. Obviously, we're talking about early 80s. In Venezuela, this old woman bought a personal computer, brought it home from Miami and sat me in front of it and said, you guys got to learn how to use this thing. Wow. That's what led me here. Well, that was, you could say that was the spark. That's, um. That's very prescient of her. Well, uh, I'll give you another tidbit about my grandmother. Uh, as you can see, we're very close. My grandmother, as she got older, she started covering the computers all the time. She would cover her Mac. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, to, to protect it, right? Because she was very precious about protecting things and, and the environment, all these things. And I was like, no, no, I cover it because I'm getting ready. Because in the future, people will be able to see each other's living rooms through the computer. Uh, she Ooh. died. She died early 90s before the internet was like a a public thing. That's when she died. There were no web cameras. There was no internet. And she said that back then. She was just like getting into the habit. She she was getting ready because that was going to happen. Wow. That's wild. She was, she was a visionary and she, she like, she used to take uh, video recordings with like old cameras of me and my brother. We're the oldest grandchildren. And um, I have, myself and my brother on eight to eight, like real to real in a projector of films of us. And then, uh, yeah, that's how I got into like gadgets and computers and stuff. That's wild. I mean, this podcast isn't about your grandmother, but that's super interesting. What did, what did she have a profession? What did she do? 
She was. I mean, she was an, uh, a woman in Venezuela, which is very like, you know, conservative country, if you will. She was uh, well-educated. She was taught French by her grandmother because it was the international business language back in the day. So she taught my mom French. And then I learned French from listening to both of them talking. My ear got used to French, so I can kind of figure out what French people are saying wow. when, when they talk yeah. to French. Um, and she she started organizations about protecting the environment and like the proper wow. way to trim trees, because if you cut them in the wrong moon, uh, like they don't grow as well. And we have to protect the trees because they're the lungs of the environment. Again, she died in early 90s. So there's a lot of stuff there that you're like, now you're like, well, of course. But back then, people didn't talk about this stuff. That is wild. Uh, she taught herself how to use like publisher or InDesign or something. It was a, a, on her Mac. That's why she got a Mac, uh, a Mac. So she could create these publishings for the organization that he had built because she would learn how to do it. And she would type those up and, and interview people and do these little publishings and stuff and print them wow. out and pass them out in the organization. And yeah. That was so neat. So that's amazing. You had somebody like that in your life. And so, okay. So she so starts with an apple too. Yeah. That's the spark. Where did it go that's from the there? Spark, right. And so then as I'm growing up and I'm doing things with her and, and figuring things out, my parents were always very open about like, you know, follow your passion, work hard, good, like work ethics and all these things. So I started doing internships um, and pretty much I, I love computers. So I got into computers. Um, I got into playing games because that was one thing you could do on computers, but then really figuring out how they work. And so when it was time to, I love science. I'm, I'm a nerd, engineer, as I call myself now, I'm also an athlete. So my brain is always like, okay, art and design and, you know, paintings and architecture, but then also like electronics and how things work and how do computers work. And so if I was going to build my own computers, I figure I could teach myself programming, but I couldn't teach myself transistors and all this crazy stuff. So I went just to study electrical engineering. Okay. And so that's where the background came on soldering irons and oscilloscopes and building uh -huh. chips and all those things. Right. Yep. Um, what was interesting was I got an opportunity to move to San Diego after doing some internships at Qualcomm. And so I got heavily. Hey, hey, Carlo. So did you go to school? Did you go to school in um, Venezuela or did you go to school? In so I went to US? school in Venezuela. Uh, okay. There were a lot of problems like strikes back in the time. Mm. Then this guy was elected president um, who was kind of pretty much the downfall of Venezuela. And the year he got elected president, I had been doing internships in San Diego or Qualcomm, I applied to USD and UCSD and they accepted me mm. and this guy got elected. And it was one of those moments where it's like, Hey, opportunities knocking. You better answer yeah. that door. And so I packed out my stuff. I remember it was three boxes, two suitcases and moved to San Diego. And when he became president, pretty much it was the downfall of Venezuela. Now, my goodness. Like, was that scary for you? Um, it was scary, but again, I was raised to take opportunities and it's a global world and you never know what's coming, you know, take advantage. You're very blessed. So when an opportunity comes, use it, you know, mm -hmm. literally the words were, it's a crime not to take advantage of the opportunities and the gifts that you get. Right. That was like yeah. the translation of what I used. So to it was do. all positive you, it, we, to use that kind of, you know, cliched phrase, you were running towards not something, not running away from something. Exactly. And so, yeah. um, so, you know, so I did that and it was a little scary because, you know, I landed in San Diego. And I was like, I don't know anybody. I got all my stuff here. Did I make the right decision? Right. 
Um, and so, but obviously I did, I mean, cause then that led me to electrical engineering, which led me to a couple of projects with Boeing and test engineering, which funny enough, at the same time, I worked part-time helping the university, uh, USD that I graduated from to implement a database system, an Oracle system, ERP, but back yeah. then they didn't have a student system. So we were implementing it as a student system. So I was designing databases and experiences, CRM systems, and one thing led to another. My contract was done with Boeing. They offered me a job full-time in Boston. I declined because I was going to stay helping USD as a full-time uh, CRM technical analyst. So I got wow. into software development, right? And so now wow. I'm heavy into databases and all these crazy things that some people think are super boring. And I'm just going like, I love data. This is like, I love this stuff. So I get into, into database design and and customer, you know, resource management, and how are we going to do this, and how to tackle experiences. My boss, we were a tiny, scruffy team of four. So each one of us led an initiative for this project, and everybody else worked for them, because there was only four of us, right? So we all were like managers, but also like, you know, worker bees for, yeah. for each other, because we didn't have enough people, and we were going to make this happen in six months. And we did it. And we implemented this system where two years, somebody else had had a hard time and the whole team, we came in with an agile methodology. Again, that stuff didn't exist back then, but that's what my boss. Yeah. What approximate, I'm curious, what approximately, what time frame is this? This is 2000, 2001. Okay. So like agile was just like a, an idea that was burgeoning then it wasn't widely adopted by any Correct. stretch. Yeah. She was brilliant. And she was all about like being agile. She was all about like, listen, if I wanted you to agree with me, I would have just cloned myself. Like all four of us have our own opinions. I want us to argue about this stuff. But once we leave the room, we're one team of four united to do yeah. this thing. And that yeah. was a huge lesson that I learned that I apply on everything that I do. That was very interesting for me. Some people might think, well, that's kind of boring. But then there was a big turn, which was I got into video games. And all hmm. because of Jackie Chan and Jet Li. And, and what? Jet Li? Jet Li. Okay, say more. All right, now we got to talk about this. So back then, my girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, um, well, she was my wife back then. It was in 2003 when we got married. So maybe, maybe yeah, maybe we're, we had just got it married. And she used to do casting for Stu Seal Productions in San Diego. Sony rents a soundstage to do what we're speculating is EverQuest, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, so Carlos, you should come over because, you know, I've been playing video games and making my own games with Unreal since I was, you know, since Unreal came out. Hmm. Uh, so she's like, you should come over. They're doing mocap in one of our sound stages. What is that? So mocap is motion capture. It's like when you see those people oh, in like the yes. black suits and the ping pong balls. Yep. Nowadays, you don't need that as much because the cameras are so much better. You can track people without even markers nowadays. Huh. But back then it was, you had a black suit with little balls. Yep. And so they could track the bouncing light off those balls. You create skeletons out of that. And that drives the animation in video games or certain CG movies and stuff. And so she's like, yeah, there's this guy. And we just saw Lethal Weapon 3, you know, that guy. And he's like here doing stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, is it like Jet Li? She's like, yeah, that's the guy. Oh and the God. other guy too. I'm like, what do you mean the other guy? Jackie Chang? She's like, oh, how did you know? Yes, that guy. I was like, I'm on my way. <laughs> I told my boss, she was awesome. He's like, I have to go to, to the soundstage because they're doing this. And you know, I love video games. She's like, yeah, go, go, go. So I left. I show up. 
they're wrapping things up. So I kind of missed the session, but I got a chance to meet the kids who were working on this stuff. And, and I saw Jeff Amada, which is funny because that was kind of like foreshadowing because Jeff Amada, uh, it's a huge stunt coordinator for fighting in Hollywood. Mm. It was helping there. Eventually, I worked with him at, at Activision when we were shooting Born uh, video games. We were doing mocap or some of the fighting sequences. Uh, and Jeff was a fighting coordinator for that, which was awesome. Wow. So, so yeah. So I was like talking to the people. It's like, wait a minute. So people actually get paid to make video games? Why did I not do this? What the hell? Right. And so these guys were talking to us like, yeah, you should stop by the studio. It's awesome. Blah, blah. And, you know, it's like, yeah, 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 of course. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, they don't want me. Why should I do that? Move a couple of years after that. My wife starts working for this uh, university. And she's like, we offer video game art and design. Hmm. You should apply. And guess what? We have grants. You should apply for a grant. Let's do it. And I was like, are you crazy? It's going to be me full-time working, full-time studying. You sure we're up for this? She's like, let's do it. Why not? So I did. Wow. And so I went back to school and I studied video game art and design. And that's how I got into video games. Oh my God. Okay. So I, I didn't even, I mean, this is how much I know about you, Carl. Like I, uh, so just to set the, set the stage of what I see in Carlos right now, we'll, we'll put a, we'll put a cap up on the, on the show notes, but like Carlos's background right now is like a bunch of awesome toys. And all I know is that Carlos worked at Hasbro and I didn't know that you were in video games beforehand. So, all right. So video games. Yeah. So video games, you know, what the things that you learn, right. And it's all about being positive, right. So as I'm, as I'm, Figuring out what do I, what can I do in video games? Because I've been, again, I've been making video games with Unreal since Unreal came out. It was like the Unreal engine was mm-hmm. available on the video games. And so I knew how to do a lot of different things, but you know, it's like, like if you know everything, you don't know anything, right? So I knew how to do all this stuff, but there was a lot of stuff I didn't quite know. So what I learned was that I love everything that had to do with, with video games and how to make video games, except for concept art. Except I for love the concept part. art concept art. So that's oh, like all art. the drawings. Yep. So I was like, I mean, I still love it and I love art. I just understand that I can't draw for crap. So, <laughs> so let's just be Same. honest, right? That's one thing I know. Okay. I'm not going to make money in video games if I'm drawing concept art. I knew that. So, but I love everything else. So when Highland Studios, which uh, is a uh, studio under Activision had an event there, I went and I was talking to people again, building relationships. Hey, how do you get into video games? Talking to all these people, they were like, man, like we love your energy and we could use somebody like you. And I was like, really? And I pulled out my resume and I gave it to them. That's yeah. way back when you carry your resume around you all the time. At least that's yep. what I did, you know, back pocket. Here you go. You know, here's my ID, here's my resume. Those are the two things you carry in your pocket, right? An enterprising guy. Exactly. And so um, they hired me four weeks later. Oh, and wow. um. So I'm still going to school full-time. Now I'm working full-time in video games. And I was a tech artist. So that's the guy that you have the developers, the engineers. So they do all the behind the screen stuff, engine, everything that runs the game. And then you have all the artists and designers. That's the stuff in front of you, stuff you see. The tech artist is the backstage ninja that nobody sees, but you're connecting all the things together. You're making things efficient. Um, I love bridges. I love, I love roles like that. The, the kind of the hidden, the hidden heroes. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And, and I got to do the things that I was really good at. Right. And, and I know this now, I didn't know it back then, but I knew this now, which is 
building relationships, going to the animation team and talking to them about what they were doing and how here are some scripts that could help you do it better, right? Uh, teaching myself how to do mail scripting, Max script, Python, all those things, because those are the new scripts that are coming out that are going to help the industry. Uh, learning how to do shaders, like, you know, how to render materials and for transformers, how to make holograms and energy force fields that, you know, that look real and stuff. And so um, it, it was a lot of fun because I really got a chance to, again, build bridges between all these different departments and being like the, the tech artist for the multiplayer team, being the special effects artist for the multiplayer team because our special effects artist was busy doing the single storyline and there were too many special effects. It's sci-fi, right? Lots of special effects, right? So only one guy can't handle everything. So, um, so that is what really got me into it, but also got me into, again, learning processes and agile. So we had Clinton Keith, which was kind of like the guy that brought Agile and Scrum to video games. Okay. Uh, he was our CTO back then. And so learning all that process let me into this kind of idea of like, you know, there's so many things out there and it's just, you know, you can make fun and, and have fun with anything and be inspired by anything. It's just how you put it in there. And so I was doing, I was designing level designing uh, with the design team. I was doing special effects. I was uh, modeling things. So for Transformers, I was the weapon specialist, even though I don't like weapons in real life, but mm -hmm. I was the weapon specialist. So I was modeling things or grabbing models that some artists were making, breaking them into pieces, rigging them. So it's like you put bones on them so you can play animations on them, building yeah. animations, putting special effects, coding them in the game, all these things so that we could have this crazy thing and Bumblebee comes out and his plasma cannon can transform out of his arm and then just blow a plasma ball, you know, into oh the septic. That must have been so satisfying to see come to fruition. And the fun thing about that is that another foreshadowing thing happened. Okay, Carlos is going to pick up a toy. I did some drawings. I said, I'm no concept artist, but I did some drawings and I drew that little blaster that you see there. Minute. I'm gonna, you know, a, I'm gonna get a screen is, cap of this, and I can Hang send on. you a picture of that. Yeah, and what that is is, it's actually when you look at it, it is actually a soldering tip. It's two soldering tips, and they're built in a way that creates like a connection to, to the robot, the transformer. It was supposed to be Ratchet's repair ray. Ah, uh. when we build a prototype and we send it off to Hasbro back then, I worked for Activision, not Hasbro. Yeah. They reviewed this prototype. They loved it. And so they went in. It's like, yeah, this is the direction to go. Keep making the game. Why do I find out years later when we're about to launch the game? They're like, oh, they made a product line out of our concept art from Transformers War for Cybertron. Oh, and cool. guess what? They made the weapon that I have prototyped and concept arted and brought oh, into the awesome. game as part of the toy for Bumblebee. Oh, so awesome. This was my foray into toy designing. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> Back then, I was making video games, right? Uh-huh. And then what happens? Kurt Schilling recruits me to come out to Rhode Island to work for 38 Studios. Oh, my God. Wow. I forgot that Kurt Schilling had the, the video game studio. Yeah. yeah. Wild. So I come out, right? Eight months after I moved my whole family to Rhode Island, my wife is like- So you went from San Diego to Rhode Island? Yep. That's cold. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, my wife is super pregnant with our second child. We're super excited. 
eight months into this adventure, 38 Studios goes bankrupt and closes. Yeah, I also remember that. Yep. Yeah. We won't get into the details of that. Yeah. And then Hasbro recruited me. To do toy design. To work with their design team in a whole new team that focuses on developing mobile apps, digital products that connect to physical products. Oh, interesting. There's the tie. There's the tie. It all comes together. Uh, everything. So my electrical engineering, my product design, my game design, everything comes together. Now, I am leading Hasbro's internal publishing team of mobile. Uh, please note, Carlos has never, ever made a mobile app in his life when this happens, right? So I, I don't remember who exactly said it. It was like, you know, fake it until you make it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't follow that. I don't believe in that, however. But these people were looking at me for this expertise. So yeah. very quickly, as I've done the rest throughout my whole career in life, it's like, okay, I'm here to help you. Let's just be honest. I've never made an app in my life. No, no, but you've done this and you've done that. And I know that you can do this and we've seen this. And we start discussing mobile uh, strategies and all these plans. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, apple.com. How do I make apps? Okay, how do you publish apps? Okay, Google, Android, how do you make Android apps? So I start learning all this stuff because we have a business to run and now people are looking at me to do this stuff, right? Yep. So very quickly, things are learned. Good for me. This is in 2012. I know exactly the day because my son was born that Friday and I started on a Monday. So literally on my fourth day at work, I got to jump out because I got to oh go to the God. hospital because my son's being born. This is when you started at Hasbro? Correct. And so we, um, you know, that's still early. The Apple store is not what it is today, yeah. but obviously it's it's big enough. I mean, the reason why Hasbro- Yeah, I've been around for, well, I mean, what, six, seven years at that point? Uh, Five, six? A little bit less. Yeah. But yeah. but but it's getting there, right? So, yep. so you don't have, obviously, the Monument Valleys out yet, but you have the Shift type of games, which were- Amazing, amazing mobile games that were focused on the core of what game design is all about, which is one amazing mechanic and everything else just flows around that mechanic, right? So there were mm -hmm. this really incredible game experiences that were so true and authentic to, to that game mechanic that, I mean, there was a lot to be learned. When you, so I'm, a, I'm not a video game person, right? When you say game mechanic, what, what does that mean exactly? So rock, paper, scissors, that's mm -hmm. a game mechanic. That is actually used for most video games to solve combat and different things, right? So a game mechanic would be th something like, in the case of Monument Valley, I don't know if you ever saw Monument. I'm, Valley. I'm not familiar with that. No. All right. Uh, have you played any games, video games, <laughs> um, or any game, play, board games? I used to play Tetris a lot. Tetris. So the core mechanic of Tetris is you have to make lines. Yep. Before you reach the top, right? Every time you Got make it. a line. You okay. delete that line. The right? very simple rule of That's the game. That's the objective basically. of the game. Okay. I'm glad I clarified that because I was thinking it was some sort of technical thing. No. Got and it. so it's designed mainly, but it's, it's about the Got experience. It. And your core mechanic is I can move my pieces around so they can fit. Yep. And when I get, you know, the whole row, it disappears around. Got right? it. Okay. And so, so we started building a business focus around that. But the difference or the innovative piece here was that it was all about physical things connecting con digital things. We always said like, hey, that toy is great. You can play with it by itself and it's great. It's a Hasbro toy. Mm -hmm. That app is fun. And yes, it's an app. But when you bring the two together, you get magic. Hmm. So you get things like Furby Boom back here. I'm pointing at Furby right now. 
where when the, um, it's ready because you've taken care of it, it gives you a digital egg. So he starts mm-hmm. look, making like a pee-pee dance. You turn yeah. on your app and then he goes, <laughs> and then an egg rolls into the screen <laughs> as if it was Furby just gave you an egg, right? That's wild. Then you take care of that egg. And when the yeah. egg hatches, it hatches a fur bling, which is a baby Furby, but it's digital. If you don't take care of that baby, it cries. Guess what? Your physical Furby knows that the baby's crying and he starts to talk about it. You bring the two together. Furby, real Furby in real life sings and starts to Jeez. calm down the digital Furby. And the digital Furby looks up and then it comes down and it smiles. And oh my God. I'm not going to lie. Like this is making me anxious, but okay, I know, you know, I'm sure you know, like, as, as a parent, I'm like, oh my God. It's like, <laughs> but it's the magic of, yes, of bringing those two things together. Right. Yeah. And so the learning there was the fact that, you know, truly magic could be made when you brought these things together. Yeah. Wow. And and I did that for 10 years and and I loved every minute of it. And I still do, as you can hear from this. Well, yeah, that voice. was going to be my next question. I mean, that sounds like such an amazing mm-hmm. gig. What drew you to do, you know, what to do what you're doing at Depth now? So it's interesting because again, as as we develop these things and then we worked on all this stuff, there's a lot of different things in front of us, right? So we my clients were Transformers, Little Pet Shop, uh, My Little Pony, Monopoly. Game of mm-hmm. life, right? Those are all my nerf. You know, those were all my clients. And each one of them has their budgets, just like we do with our clients. But sometimes the priorities and all the things conflict with each other, right? Yep. And and we were a very small team trying to cover two, right? Yep. So what happens here with that was when Jorge came around and he's like, Hey, you know, we have this great opportunity for you. Uh, actually, Anne was the one that recruited me because I had uh I had met Anne when she was a virgin pulse. Um, and Kimura, she's one of our uh, heads of design. So, yeah. Exactly. And so she, so when they brought me together, I was like, oh my God, this is the same thing I'm doing, but with more freedom and across all categories. So I can make a bigger difference. I'm not only making a difference in this kind of small team uh, with a small reach, I can now have a global reach and really make a difference and follow yeah. the purpose of a company that I believe in. I'm still Unreal. having a blast. Yeah. I still have fun with all our clients. Uh, yeah. and, and each challenge has its own little fun twist to it that challenges me and, and makes me want to like find ways to solve it in most efficient ways. So Whew, what a story, man, I made my, made my job easy on this one. I got two questions. First one out of, out of your whole career, what's your, what's your favorite project or story that you've worked on? Funny, sad, interesting, whatever, whatever your choice is. So I think one of my favorite stories that I cannot talk about um, was working on a project called Drop Mix, which is a music mixing game using cards in collaboration with Harmonix, our neighbors at Boston, in Boston. So I got on a plan to convince NXP, who is uh, the leading manufacturer of NFC, so that's uh, near field chips, near field. Okay. right? So tech that you put chips that you put on cards. Um, yeah. I got on a plane with a presentation to convince them that they needed to work with us because we needed them to be able to make this product. And okay. that was just awesome. And, and it was funny because once I got out of the, that meeting, I was like, I just told the president of this company, you know, bajillion, trajillion company, I don't know, um, you know, what they needed to do their business and how they much 
you know, they needed to lower their prices so that he could work. And I was just straight honest with him. I said, this is, we need you to sell us this chip at this price. Something I've never done in my life, but I believed in it, in the product. And we had a good story to tell. Um, and by story, I don't mean like a lie. A story is in like, yeah, yeah, yeah. user story and the experience and everything. And, yeah. and we had a good relationship with them so that I was able to, to go pitch it to the president. Yeah. And he trusted us and he said, okay. And he did it. Huh. That's really interesting. So was that early on in NFC type technology where they were no, more so expensive? NFCs or? have been around for more than 30 years. Because you okay. see them on poker, poker cards for poker tournaments. They use them. Uh-huh. Uh, you see them on hotel room keys and everything. Yep, yep. They have not ever done it in entertainment. They have only done in transport. They have done it for like hotels and, but not for entertainment. Huh. Interesting. All right. And my other question is what's one of the most challenging situations you hit? And when did you learn from it? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest and challenging situations I've had, um, and there've been many, um, it was uh, understanding and being able to say no and kill a project. Okay. Do you have a specific example? So, yeah. So I can talk a lot about it uh, because of confidentiality, but um, a simple situation is you work very hard in a project. It could be your code, it could be a design, it could be a concept idea that you have, right? Yep. And, and a lot of times when you go at it, it doesn't matter which angle you take, it's still your project. And you can, a lot of times can get very personal and attached to a project. And so um, I think we, I still believe today, to today, and it's like been seven years, I believe in this amazing experience and product that we could have made. But the reality was that the numbers were not there. There was no business for it. Mm-hmm. And so you could make the best game, best toy, the best mobile app or, or web app that in the world. But if there's no market for it, there's no yep. business for it, it's kind of pointless, right? And yeah. so I think somebody said it very well. And, and it's, it's a hard truth, but it's true, which is like having a sticker here. It says, if it doesn't turn a profit, it's a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And it's a hard truth, but it's a real truth. So I'm a very passionate guy. I'm a dreamer. I'm the guy that says, hey, we got to think huge, big, so that we know where we want to go. But then we need to narrow it down and focus and deliver in the steps that we need to get to that dream. And so that was a hard lesson for me to learn, but it was a reality. It's like, you know, we did have innovation that hasn't been seen today still. Yeah, and I can understand why you can't name specific that that makes total sense now. But yeah, that is that is really tough because I imagine you pour a lot of your heart and soul into a lot of that. And just to kind of relate it back, like, you know, we work with a lot of different clients and we we see successful clients, we see not so successful clients. And you know, one of the things that I have seen that we offer that's super valuable is the idea of a design sprint or a strategy sprint where it's like before you even start building, before you start you know, looking at like detailed mock-ups, like let's just put this thing out in front of some people and the idea and see if it, if it takes hold before you spend a lot of money and create it. So, yeah. And what's interesting it. and it's hard to hear is that, you know, you, we drove all that out of insights. So there was a market, there were insights, but by the time we were able to go into production, oh, that had moved on. Interesting. And so the hard thing is, and, and I can talk yeah, about especially this in the piece. entertainment industry, that moves real fast. Exactly. Trends move fast. Yeah. Yeah. So take it back to get video games. That's an easier one. And it's pretty public, a lot of this stuff. 
video games usually take two years or, or less or more to make, depending on what kind of game it is. Red yeah. Dead Redemption took eight, but Whoa. there was a lot of things. There was a lot of things into the development of that, of why it took eight years. But when you predict and you're about to launch that game, it's very different insights on Marketplace than later. And the big insight there is that you may be pouring millions of dollars into development, but when it comes time to launch it, if the market's not right, you cut your losses because the amount of money you're going to spend to market that mm. and then later not make profit, it's a lot worse than the yeah. millions of dollars that you have spent on developing. Yeah, it's, it's, the sunk, it's avoiding the sunk cost fallacy, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Whew, man, tying it all together. Good stuff. All right. So we let's well let's end it on we usually do picks, right? Which this is anything that you are currently digging. Uh could be movies, could be work related, could be anything. I'll go first just to set the example and uh and we'll go to you. So uh my pick for this time uh is Bear on Hulu. Uh it's a show about a family sandwich restaurant in Chicago. Sounds like the most ridiculous premise ever, but man, are the characters good. So, oh, I love it. Just so good. And also like you get to see these delicious sandwiches and they make me hungry. So they're not so totally not related not- to anything we just talked about, but it's a great show. So I hope you don't watch those right before you go to bed. Cause then you go to I bed do when I get so hungry. hungry. Yeah. So, all right. What's um, yours? All right. My pick, man, too hard. So I, I'm, as you can see from me talking, I, I hard for me to focus on one thing when it comes to that stuff. I love music. I love movies and I love all sorts of that. So, but I'll say if it's one pick where I'm a little focus on is processing. So that's like a Java like script program where you make art, you make oh, programmatically art. Cool. Yeah. So it's gotten me back into coding. Cause I haven't done coding in so long. I was is, like, it's you know a, what? is it like a li- a library called processing? So go to processing.org okay. and it's just like a little program that you can run you can download the little editor on your mac if you want or pc you can do it online it's great and it's just you're just literally just running a couple of scripts to do stuff so i've been making art with that stuff because i love art that's amazing yeah good stuff all right that that is a fitting that's a fitting pick and it's much more related to what we talked about than what i oh no not at all it's (laughs) i mean what makes life life is all those nuggets all those sweet things right like You know, we talked about how we love music, right? And yeah. so I'll play Canon in D in my acoustic guitar, but sometimes I love to rock out and do Johnny Ramone's like What a Wonderful World, you know? And <laughs> little heavy distortion and you yeah, know, man. so hey. Oh, that's funny. Well, Carlos, thanks. This was super interesting. Um, I can't wait to get this one out. And uh thanks so much for spending some time. Thank you. It's a big honor. All right.